Hey everybody, this is Joel Hookster of Whitesnake, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Hey Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to yet another episode of Focus on Metal. Well, this week's show just kind of fell out of the sky. Pretty much a text from Richie, hey, we got to help out a friend of the show. Got an interview tomorrow, we got to try to get this up as soon as possible to get some promotion going and let the word out. So this was definitely the fast track, mass effort to try to fit this whole shebang in in a spot of about uh, two and a half days. So what does a hotshot guitarist who big chunk of his international tour gets canceled here in the U.S. do when he finds uh, looking at several months on his hands? Well, if you're Joel Holkstra, then you give a call to your buddy Brandon Gibbs and say, hey, let's put the acoustic duo back together and go out on Campfire Tour 2022. And that, my metalhead friends, is what the show is about this week. Richie had a great talk with Joel all about, uh, you know, putting together that uh, quickie tour with Brandon. And while he's at it, Richie being Richie can't resist some topics in the White Snake camp as well, delving into some of the reissue stuff that came out, Joel's involvement there, and then guy's a busy guy so then you got to ask him about tso which uh, that is kicking off very soon as well it comes up fast every year and i believe tickets for the first round the november shows i think those go on sale i believe uh in uh, the next week and then he uh, touches on some other stuff with joel as well so all around great interview obviously the big crux of this is getting the word out all about campfire tour 2022 joel and then also brandon gibbs from devil city angels going out again and doing uh, all your favorite tunes and at the end of it joel does give a rundown of all the dates as currently scheduled so uh, be sure to listen all the way through to get that but you know even if you're not in one of the spots where the tour is coming definitely good stuff here uh, always joel's a great guy to talk to Gives a lot of information out and uh, is very, very candid. Great interview. So lots of good stuff from Joel Hoekstra this week. So as I always like to say, enough of me uh, yakking here. Let me uh, shut the hell up and turn it over to Richie and Joel Hoekstra. Hello. Hey, is that Joel? It is. Joel, Richie here for the interview. Are you okay? Yeah, what's happening, Richie? How are you, buddy? I'm all right. So you at home? Yes. Okay. So when when do you start rehearsing with Brandon for the for the tour? Pretty much the day of the first show. <laughs> we, we, we we usually uh, just you know meet the the day of the first show and go through stuff and um, and do that you know like along the way prior to every gig. Obviously, it's sound checks and things like that. Okay, how, how long do you know Brandon? So we met on the Monsters of Rock cruise, and I'm going to take a stab at the year here. I think 2016, so a little over six years or so. Okay, and how did it morph from getting to know him to doing acoustic shows with him? Um, he asked me pretty much right away there. We did a, so 
sometimes they combine artists on a meet and greet. So we had, it was one of those resort island stops on a cruise. And so they had us do our meet and greet on that island together. And so uh, we were talking and he said, hey, sometimes I do acoustic shows with other guitarists. Would you ever be interested in that? And I said, absolutely. And so we ended up setting some up. And, um, you know, over the last six years, that's been a nice way when I am not on tour with Whitesnake or with uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra or whatever to um, be able to get out and play more intimate shows venues have an opportunity to um engage more with the diehard fans um have you done acoustic shows with other artists i mean i do my show on the monsters of rock cruise every year is an acoustic show and uh i have over the years i mean i've backed up many singer songwriters and kind of been that second acoustic player on shows where i sing background vocals and and uh try and play maybe some of the the um overdub type guitar parts while they strum the song okay tell me how you pick the songs in the set with brandon is it a is it like um is it both minds come together and you throw ideas out there or is there certain songs you feel you have to play so it's a really cool combination of his stuff from devil city angels and his his solo stuff and um obviously we play some white snake and we play some poison because of his um affiliation with those guys um having filled in and just recently singing background for them on the stadium tour um so and then we pick some of our favorite covers we play some stuff from my joel hoaxer's 13 albums it's a really neat little combination it's a it's a fun set Mm. which 13 songs are you doing joel because i'm a i'm a big fan of both of those records uh, we usually do Until I Left You off of Dying to Live and Hard to Say Goodbye from Running Games. Okay, very good. So you're doing one off uh, each one. Yeah. Okay. And what about the White Snake songs? Because you could probably play anything from that catalog, even stuff that you mightn't have played with David. Um, to date, we've we've pretty much done Is This Love and Here I Go Again as staples in the set. They both lend themselves to um, being great acoustic songs. Mm. Is it easy to uh, to play some of those songs acoustically? Because they're normally, some of these songs are big arena songs. You know, with a, they're loud, they're bombastic. Yeah, I mean, I think over the years I've spent a lot of time like transferring songs over to acoustic and kind of creating individual versions like the keyboard setup for here i go again i kind of have this finger style piece on guitar by now after years of doing that and um so you know things like that where you just kind of you know tweak how the song is played as a full band to break it down to a duo and um it's always a fun challenge and definitely different chord voicings and things like that instead of strumming like power chords on an electric guitar you're strumming full chords on acoustic and finding ways to complement so you're not just playing the same part throughout Mm. now i've heard from some artists that if they get more intimidated and nervous when they do acoustic shows because of the proximity with the audience are you the same way no i wouldn't i wouldn't say that i think that um they they feel low-key in a way the shows because they're not big arena shows or anything like that it's not like playing for you know fifty thousand people at a festival or something so um they tend to feel just kind of fun and intimate it's a bit more of a challenge at times to be able to uh 
uh, have the the wow factor on guitar for people <laughs> yeah. without being able to fall back on some of the stuff I do on electric. But, um, you know, I do take a solo on the acoustic. That's also a, kind of a staple in the show. Each of us have a little bit of a solo moment where we kind of, you know, show off our lead chops and things like that. So, Okay. Do, do you take requests? Do people shout up what to play? What they'd like to hear? We have not gotten a lot of that. Um, you know, Brandon does like you get at a lot of acoustic shows some some storytelling and things like that and and i talk here or there they're just kind of like a cool you know brandon's a great guy we get on great i mean we're you know legitimate friends and um it's when we go on these we don't have any crew or any band with us so it's just kind of like the two of us and uh you know he's a great great guy we get on just great and uh, that kind of comes across on stage i think too mm. now joel of course you can tell me if i'm wrong but these shows were kind of last minute because you're supposed to be out on the road with Scorpions at the minute. Uh, yeah, I was able to, um, you know, get these these shows to kind of help fill the void. Yeah. And uh, so um, for me, it gives me an opportunity to get out and uh, play a bit and, and see the U.S. a bit as, you know, we did tour UK and Europe earlier this year with, with White Snake. So um, to be able to get out and, and do some of that, and, and I'll have a couple weeks at Raiding the Rock Vaults, um, October 15th through 26th in Vegas. And um, I have a few shows with the Rock of Ages band who I play with also, kind of same type of thing, like smaller shows, you know, just like playing the song, full-length versions of the songs from um, – the show so that gives me an opportunity to get out and see the fans and everything like that so it's um you know it, it it's a great opportunity to still be able to play some cities in the u.s yeah uh, prior to tso i do have tso coming up as you well have everything coming up and <laughs> uh, joel i, I want to ask you about acoustic shows in general i've been to a few of them and i in my personal opinion i, I think kip winger does one of the best ones out there because it's not only the songs that he plays and the way he still sings, but he's a great storyteller telling the stories about the songs. And I always feel that an acoustic show is as, as much about that as it is the songs themselves. You guys do a lot of that too? Yeah, yeah. As I said, you know, Brandon is a, a great storyteller with it. Yeah, we've actually done a show with Kip before. Um, we shared the uh, the bill with him one night. Uh, so Kip is a you know a, a great friend and a great talent. Obviously, we, our connection through Red Beach and uh, and uh, and actually another connection over the years with Jim Peterick is kind of where I first met Kip. But you know he's uh, he's a very talented guy. He gets a great sound he's just you know he's a great uh, audio guy so there's a you know great acoustic sound and um and yes he's found a way to make his acoustic set very entertaining i think he's a really talented guy um uh, so yeah you're I, I would say you're spot on with that since it's only you and brandon really going out on the road how many guitars are you going to bring with you so we usually just bring one each and then we have an additional one on the rider. This one, it always depends on how we get out. Like if I have to fly the initial day, um, that's pretty much what you're limited to unless you want to check something underneath, you know. Um, this particular run, I'm actually renting a car and driving to the first one and then we just kind of have a rental car to navigate through these. So. 
um, and then I return it. So there's a chance I might actually bring like a 12 string to or something on side. I don't know. I need to think about like where I can use some of that, but I could actually bring additional guitars this time if I want. <laughs> nice, nice. Do you have a guitar at home or in your studio that you just won't bring on the road? It's too precious and you don't want it to get damaged. No, I mean, they're all basically, uh, my collection gets played um, one way or another. Pretty much um, the things I add in are all used. So, um, yeah, I would, I would say no to that. I, that's why I'm not a collector, because I end up taking mine out uh, one way or another, and they get, they get some use. Okay. How many guitars have you, Joel? I don't know the exact number, bro. And it depends, like, if you include things like a, a lap steel and a banjo and, like, a sitar-style guitar and things like that. So there's some random pieces. But I'd say it's mid-40s at this point. Like, uh, so, you know, somewhere about 45. Excellent! Okay, I asked the guitarist, this, all of them, I asked him this question. And I remember Richie Cotson telling me a couple of years ago he was able to break them all down hundreds and i was like wow <laughs> yeah i mean it's it sounds like a ton when i say even 45 sounds like really excessive but when you consider that i've had a lot of years of this i mean i've been playing guitar for 40 years yeah. so um over the years you just kind of acquire them and if you don't sell them or unload them that's just kind of what you end up with even if you're you know i mean if i added one a year over the course of that time that's that's where my collection would stand so um it's not really that excessive but um i mean in theory i could thin it out a lot but i kind of have emotional attachments to some of them as well so um and what you know one of my main things with tso when i do that tour is to kind of enjoy some of the fun looking guitars and like visual because that show is such a visual spectacle like the production that i kind of view the guitars as part of that so now joel you've been out with multiple bands on, on maybe on festivals or package tours did you ever ask any of the other guitarists could you tr have a look at their guitars maybe you, you saw it in a magazine or or you knew about it and like wow I hopefully someday i'll be able to have, actually have a look at that and play it um, yeah, I mean, I've had the opportunity to, to do a lot of that over the years, sharing the bills with a lot of the bands that I grew up admiring and things like that, and be able to um, at least look at their collection. And then some people are a little more, you know, I guess, friendly and available with that type of stuff than others. I, I usually would not impose that on anybody and ask, but, you know, like one thing that comes to mind is Phil Collin. Um, you know, he's a friend of mine from, from Def Leppard. He was just, just such a nice guy. I mean, I, I came by their Vegas residency when I was doing a Vegas residency with Cher and, and you know, Phil, um, put me through his rig and, you know, we had the, the in-ears on me and everything like that. And, you know, let me play on all his stuff. And it was, it was so fun. You know, he's such a nice guy. Hmm. How different are Reb's guitars to yours? Well, in Whitesnake, you know, Reb, has himself really carved out as the Floyd Rose guy, you know, the whammy bar guy. Yeah. So, and, um, you know, my position is more of the Les Paul guy, um, which works out great because I'm primarily a Les Paul guy, you yeah, know. Yeah. I, I, did, I did grow up playing like Floyd Rose guitars when I was a kid, though. So I did spend a lot of time on um, that type of thing as well. I own a, a fair amount of Floyd Rose guitars, but in Whitesnake, it kind of makes sense to 
leave that territory for each other. So in that regard, they're different. I mean, Reb has his Sir guitars. That's his, his brand. And I kind of do the uh, Gibson. And if I go to a Strat, it's a Fender, more of the traditional thing. Mm. When you wrote with David, you and Reb wrote on the last record, the Flesh and Blood record, did both of you approach songwriting with David the same way? Or are you just different to the way you approach songwriting? I mean, we were together for a fair portion of that. And yeah. then there were other times where it was only myself out there or, or Reb out there. So um, a lot of it was David would have a uh, like a, a chorus for a song. You know, maybe a chorus and a verse and you'd help him with like a bridge or an intro or something like that or present something to him with that um, and there were other times where you know like you'd have a bed where an entire, every riff that you came up with got used as the song so yeah, yeah I'd say it varied you know um, definitely that I would say that um, with Flesh and Blood it was you know primarily um, David's like choruses and things like that and we'd kind of help round out the song and certainly david writes all the um the lyrics and the vocal melodies and things like that i mean that's his territory did you get a chance to talk to him much about his approach to writing all those classic white snake songs like what made you go this way with that song what were you thinking did, did you get into that at all with him there's times where he volunteers that information or we'll talk about a, you know, stumble on a specific track and he'll yeah. kind of give you the story behind it. But in general, no, it's, I'd say it's much more of like a, a friendship scenario when, you know, I'm with David and we're just kind of having a good time and joking. And then, um, you know, David volunteers that stuff. That's great. But I don't want to make him feel like I'm interviewing him. <laughs> <laughs> Joel, can I ask you for a minute about the, the Restless Heart record, that the the, re, the remix version that came out last year? Um, sure. I'm a massive fan of that record, and I was when it came out in 97. I, how familiar were you with that record when it came out? Yeah, I mean, not at all back in the day. And then when I joined the band, I, I kind of combed through the catalog, you know, uh, so that was 2014 when I joined. So, yeah, I think, you know, the the... The songs on there are excellent, and um, I think that obviously the story with that is that David was kind of viewing that as a solo record. So I think the production style on it, as far as the guitars go, was more of that Coverdale Page approach where um, it was like, you know, a single pass with a lot of different mics on it and things like that. There weren't a lot of overdubs, and there weren't a lot of, uh, well, there was no Les Paul on there. So um, I think eventually when the label kind of pressed David to release that under the Whitesnake um, moniker, it was always a little disappointing to him that it didn't have the Les Paul sound on it, and it was under the Whitesnake banner. So he, you know, he came to me with the idea He's heard, see, heard me enough in the studio by now to know that I'm I'm really good with picking up on the the um, subtleties in rhythm parts like glissandos and rests and things like that, and being able to double things really closely. So uh, basically, he tasked me with trying to you know double what Adrian did um, on a Les Paul, and then if I heard some additional things that I could you know overdub in certain sections of the songs um they had me drop those down as well so the idea was to take what adrian did and 
support it rather than replace it. So there was there wasn't any um, agenda as far as taking his performances off of there. It was just to kind of toughen it up a bit with the Les Paul and um, to try and maybe add some parts to to build on it. And of course, Derek Sherinian added some killer keyboards on there as well um so i I really like it i mean i'm I'm not a a big fan of you know all the let's redo things you know i mean i kind of that was a great record as it was you know but in this particular case i think it it worked out really nicely i mean i think you still hear adrian front and center doing all his great playing on it and all his great parts and uh, it's just you know kind of a an interesting task to try and enhance that and support that without taking away I want to ask did you have any contact at all with Adrian while you were doing that because you're enhancing his part Um, did you talk to him at all about it no not during Um, like I would say after the fact okay (laughs) so you know Adrian's always been really really nice I don't you know if you haven't met Adrian he's he's a great guy hey everybody it's Adrian Vandenberg Uh, you may know me from my 13 years with Whitesnake I've got my new band Vandenberg's New Kings and you're listening to Focus on Metal so I would say turn it up super super nice guy so you know anytime we've we've gone to yeah, the Netherlands. Adrian is is there and and uh, and playing with us. So, um, you know, it's it's been great to uh, get to know him over the history of the band and and uh, or my time in the band. And uh, yeah, great cat, great player, very good, uh, very good song guy. You know, Adrian's really um, a great writer and um, you know comes up with great guitar parts for a song and he's great with understanding a vocalist range and what to keys to put things in um he's a very musical guy mm. the thing about adrian vandenberg with me and i've i've been a fan since the early 80s he's mostly known for being in in white snake but when you actually look at his recorded product with that band he did he wrote slip of the tongue and didn't play on it and then the record restless heart that came out in 97 was was it a white snake record was it not a white snake record so the band he's most been known for there's one record that's kind of it is or it isn't and then the, the other big record that went multi-platinum slip of the tongue Steve Vai had to play on it so he didn't really get a chance to play on a lot of recorded Whitesnake stuff yeah indeed yeah you know he, and he's a great player like I love the Moon Kings albums he's done the Vandenberg band he's put back together he, he's just he, he is a great player absolutely yeah yeah so I just want to ask you a second, Joel, about the iconic record. Now, I spoke to you, I think, around the time of the, the last 13 album, and you, there was talk for years about you and Michael Sweet working on, a, on, a, on an album together. And I, I'm, I'm curious, was that just supposed to be you and Michael, or did this morph from that into the iconic album? I think it was really a combination of the two ideas of Frontiers looking for a group to put around Nathan James. Um, so I think they they thought, you know, here we got a a younger, uh, up and coming, fantastic singer. Let's find some great classic rock guys to put around them. 
And at the same time, Michael was talking to them about, hey, Joel and I want to do something together. And so I think they thought, hey, let's put those two ideas together. So that's that was the beginning of it. And then they kind of said, well, we'll, we'll come up with the rhythm section later after the fact. And then much to my surprise, that ended up being uh, Tommy Aldrich and Marco Mendoza. So, you know, we, we ended up with a pretty heavy uh, white, snake, uh, white snake vibe happening in the rhythm section. But, uh, you know, it's all great, man. It's great to great to work with Tommy um, in any capacity. Capacity. you know he's a legend so um and you know marco and, and tommy play great together i was going to ask you that did you have anything to do with tommy playing on the record and now you said you didn't no i mean it was kind of that was really frontiers it was kind of just like a, a surprise to be honest with you i mean i didn't really picture tommy tommy's usually not out doing a lot of projects yeah, exactly. you know he's so he kind of just saves himself for the bigger stuff and um so it was you know, interesting to see that he committed and, um, and it was, but it was great. You know, Tommy's a great friend and a great drummer and, you know, very excited that he signed on to do it. Do you know Marco Mendoza at all? Yeah, absolutely. Marco and I go back to, I feel like we met before this, um, but we, we got to spend a lot of time together when he was with the Dead Daisies and we did a run with Whitesnake together. So it was Whitesnake, Dead Daisies. And so Marco and I got to, hang a bit then but I, I i forget where i first met him to be honest it's it's been a while and, and he's a great cat anybody that knows marco knows he's like always super positive and uh you know he's an amazing musician too he can really play it all you know so um it uh yeah i mean it was for me that going to <laughs> the the video and photo shoot I knew everybody involved very well. I mean, it was like, I got Tommy, I got Marco, I got Michael, who I've been friends with and working with for years. Nathan and I have co-written on a few things, and we did TSO, um, where we'd see each other at rehearsals. Um, so, I mean, it was just kind of like, you know, hanging with a bunch of friends, really. Mm. I'm going to ask, and I'm sure people have asked you before, has there been any talk at all about doing an iconic live show? if you can pull it off on a cruise or, or something like that? Uh, I mean, I think it's something that uh, most of us would like to do. I, I'd certainly love to do it. Um, we'll see what becomes of that. Um, you know, I think a lot of it just comes down to uh, the logistics. Um, to put that together for a one-off might not make sense. I don't know, but maybe to try and do a run would be um, something that's feasible if there's holes with Inglorious's calendar and, and Striper and with anything that I've got going on. And so, yeah, I mean, it would be great. I would love to do it, though. I think that that, has a, that band has a potential to sound really, really great live um, when you got, you know, vocalists like Nathan and Michael to right. start with the harmony stuff. And then, you know, if Alessandro was on on keyboards and Marco singing, I mean, we got the potential to have some great backing vocals. And, um, you know, certainly Michael and I, we got a lot of those double leads on the, the album. It sounds so cool live, you know. Mm. It'd be really fun to do that stuff. You always come across to me, Joel, as someone, you like doing a lot of things. Like certain people like to just be in, in one band. And w when you were growing up, did you want to be a one band guy or did you want to branch off and play with as many people as you could? Uh, I mean, I, I just wanted to be a musician, you know, and be able to do it. So um, for me, the, it's not so much whether or not I'm a one band guy or a multiple band guy it's more like that i want to be working on music all the time so i don't want to take 
eight months of the year off if you're in a way yeah. <laughs> so that's that's the reason that musicians do everything these days you know because back in the day a band would be like all right you go on the road you tour for a year and you write the album while you're out and as soon as you get back you record it and then you head out again and so you were constantly busy like you know we're talking 30 40 years ago if you were in a band that was successful and nowadays the model has kind of changed you know yeah. Um, where, where bands go out for shorter stretches, there's not as much money in it for bands, uh, for musicians. And so, you know, you, if you want to be able to do this, you kind of have to stay constantly busy and working. And um, it's also like simply from a musical standpoint, that's what makes you better, you know? So I could sit around and make you know, 10 second videos of myself shredding on YouTube or I can like work on music and like be actually out playing music and recording music. So I try to stay busy doing as much of that as possible because I, I just, you know, I want to be the best musician I can be. You still practice, Joel? I mainly play more okay. than practice. I mean, but, you know, I would say the playing is practicing. So, you know, I just finished doing the guitars for my um, next Joel Hostess 13 album oh, nice. and I went straight into doing a session for somebody the next day and to straight into doing an album for somebody the next day that I've you know been working on and that in addition to teaching uh, about 30 students a week right now and uh, you know I've got the guitar in my hands a, a good <laughs> six eight hours a day you know um is the next 13 album does that have Russell Allen on it again uh, so it's got Vinny Apice. Hi, it's Vinny Apice, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. And Tony Franklin and Derek Sherinian. Hi, this is Tony Franklin of The Firm, Blue Murder, and most recently of Rated X. It's great to be on Focus on Metal. All repeats and, uh, uh, returning alumni and uh, <laughs> and of course myself and then um you know lead vocal thing we're trying to figure out a bit at the moment okay okay i don't know how you remember all this stuff i'm doing one album one day and then another one the next day and then a session the day after you must have a great memory for remembering music well the recording stuff is all just kind of learning on the fly you know yeah. you, you when you go to record it and so i mean my own music um you know obviously those riffs come back to me really quickly i go back and revisit and go yeah that's right when i wrote that it was this and so let me get that going but you know like right now i'm doing uh, an album uh for uh somebody in the uk and every day is like you know plug it in and learn it on the fly kind of as you go and and uh and record it and uh, you know it's great it's a great challenge and that that kind of stuff is great practice like you know recording is that's a that's a great place to really hone your playing and you can hear every nuance and every little flaw when you're recording you yeah. know you can get away with a lot more in a live setting for sure yeah. it must be difficult joel to schedule all this because there's there must come a point where you look at your schedule and you have to say no to somebody yeah i mean it happens i just try to make sure that i'm like constantly moving forward and and um, doing what I can with this you know my, my thing is that daily thing I say it in like every interview so people yeah. <laughs> are probably sick, sick of hearing it but it, it's at some point it goes from like was I productive this year or was I productive this month to like was I productive today and I ask myself that question every day so um, I try to make sure the answer is always yes mm. always depends on what your definition of production is though you know playing live or recording in a studio you know, they're both very different. 
they're different. I would say that the level of enjoyment I get from them is equal. I have a, you know, a thing on stage, obviously the energy, the audience, the excitement, it's a lot more, I'd say like of a, a roller coaster, you get all that adrenaline when you're on a stage. Um, but there's also something I have when I record where literally I, I get tunnel vision and the only thing that matters is very similar to live, I guess, um, in a sense, and, and that it's the only thing you care about in the moment. So when I'm recording, I get this tunnel vision where, uh, you know, if I record for eight straight hours, I'll realize I haven't taken a break and I haven't eaten all day. I'll get to the end of the day and I'll be like, man, it's nine at night. <laughs> I haven't eaten a plate of food yet. You know, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I'm not big on like taking breaks and things like that. So I, I get myself in a headspace where I'm, you know, really focused on it. And, uh, so it's cool. I like that feeling because it, you know, it's obviously it shows you're doing something that you care a lot about. And, um, it's, uh, it, it can be, it's very rewarding for me to record as well. Like I, I really love both of them. Okay. Do you ever get writer's block? No, I, I think if you, if you have like a, a strong understanding of music, you can break out of that. If you're strictly like a, I do what I do and you don't really know how to pick things apart, it's tougher to get yourself out of that. I think it's pretty easy to, to try and come up with, you know, different tempos, different feels to spur something, different tunings, different like time signatures, anything it takes to kind of get yourself out of the rut and then be able to express something in that uh, with that that set of guidelines that, you know, has the um, necessary emotion or point, you know, so not really. I mean, I feel like I can kind of do it on command. Okay, so Joel, you got TSO coming up again. When do you start rehearsals for that? That I go there October thirty first. So uh, yeah, so I think we're we're rehearsing the first through the fifteenth, and the first show for the East Band is um, November sixteenth okay. in Green Bay. Now you say go, you go, you go where? Where exactly are you rehearsing? So we rehearse in the Omaha area. Both, so, both bands or just one? Both. So it's the way it's set up there is usually one of the bands is kind of rehearsing in the um, the smaller rooms and then one of the bands will be on the, the stage. So there's two stage setups uh, mirroring each other in an arena in there. Um, so it's it's really cool, you know. It's really really neat. There's like nothing nothing else that I can think of that would be like this. You have two identical stage setups that face each other. In fact, it, during rehearsals, it can be really fun at times because they'll run the the uh, time code on the lighting on the other stage while we're rehearsing on ours. So you can watch wow. what the light show is on the other side of the arena while you're playing it. You know. Okay, and is it is it Chris Caffrey is and yourself doing the guitars again? Yeah, yeah, Chris, um, you know, great friend. All these guys in the East Band are great friends of mine, and um, so we have a we have a really strong bond after this this much time together. Um, how many actual shows do you do full full blown shows with the pyro and everything before you actually do the first show? You know, I want to say like with pyro, that might be limited to like maybe two or three okay it's not a it's not a ton with full pyro but it's a it's a ton with full lighting the the 
the pyro kind of comes in later. Um, they get the stage set up set and like, you know, you work on all those things like the lifts, usually starting about halfway through rehearsals, like the things that, you know, will go up on the in the air and stuff like that. That kind of that begins about halfway through and then the pyro kind of comes in at the end where, you know, you have there's there's definitely a couple runs and, and it's it's all you know, kind of no brainer stuff in terms of just don't cross. Like yeah. it's all behind you. There's yeah. any, any pyro that's in front of you ever is all stuff that, you know, we, we used to have this certain kind that you see pictures of me kind of putting my guitar in it and stuff that actually wouldn't really wouldn't hurt you. It's kind of this interesting, um, they'd, they'd like sting a tiny bit and that's it. So that was, you were able to stick our guitars in that and stuff. Those are a lot of fun. Mm. Um, that's a grueling schedule you do with TSO because I, I've I saw one of the shows a couple of years ago and you, you you were able to bring me backstage and I got to meet you but like you do matinee shows you could do two a days and then you travel and the next day you're doing, you're in another town it, it's it's grueling yeah uh, it's I call it the Marines of Rock <laughs> <laughs> so yeah you do you do eight shows a week and the show is usually you know two hours and change, you know, two hours and 10 minutes, two hours and 15 minutes, something like that. So, you know, you've, you've got to definitely be willing to work hard when you do that tour. Thankfully, that's something that I actually enjoy. So by the time you've played a two show day, which happens typically on a TSO week, you do a single show Wednesday, single show Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday are all two show days. So Sunday night, when you're done with that last show, you've played six and three days and you're like, like, you know, are you ready to get on the bus and go to sleep? (laughs) Do you get to go home at all when you're, when you're doing TSO or are you just on the road for the whole autumn? Uh, I mean, I live in New York City, so there have been past years where we've had the 26th. Typically, we're off Christmas Eve and Christmas, oddly enough, right? And then we play on the 26th. So there have been times where for New York City, we would have the 26th in, in Jersey or whatever. So I'd be home for the holiday. That happened a couple of the years. It's it's, it's different every year. I would guess this year with, with COVID still being a bit of a thing um, for you know, tours, like people not wanting, you know, um, any performers to miss shows and things like that, that will probably still be in a pretty strong bubble, I would think, and probably not allowed to, to go home at all. Okay. I just got a couple of questions, Joel, before I leave you go. I have mm-hmm. to ask, um, have you been in touch with David and how's his health? Yeah, you know, David and I are in, in regular contact and, um, you know, as far as the specifics on how he's feeling and things like that, I don't really, I just let David volunteer yeah. okay. um, info as it goes. But, you know, you know, it's obviously David's, you know, he, he's been so amazing to me um, with, with uh, my time and, and uh, you know, it, no matter what he ever does, he's, he's got my full support on everything because he's, he's such a great guy. And, um, so he's he's uh, he's been so good to me. So he's always got my full support. Okay, um, you did shows with Cher, and I want to ask when you actually met her. Was there anything about her that surprised you? Um, uh, I can't say there was any particular thing that comes to mind that was surprising. I, I would say maybe some of the fun things that people like to hear about are. Um, that she would take all of us to the movies and things like that. And, um, you know, there were bingo nights, um, like fun things like that, that everybody would, would go do. And, you know, it was uh, pretty entertaining to see Cher waiting in line for popcorn like uh, like <laughs> anybody else. Nice, nice. 
because what you hear about some of these mega stars is that the band will rehearse and they don't really get a chance to meet the star until they're actually on the stage so it's nice to know that you know she was really nice to all you guys yeah oh she's i mean she's very nice and um i mean i'd I'd say it was she was very professional though there was not like a um uh, there was not like a you know hey i'm just here to hang out with you guys i think you know the majority of the interaction was um with the the band and the music director so just kind of working on the music those were like the main people that i i hung with in that time or saw and share you know you'd see her before the show in the circle and do the show and that was for the most part it but every once in a while you know she'd she'd say hello and chat for a minute and you know but you know nothing like uh nothing removed um but nothing um i don't know how to put it like you know there's a that's like anything else with that there's a big machine you know you got a lot of dancers and a lot of people on production and so you're just part of it and so it would be unusual to have any um any other interactions than that i don't know how else to put it you know did you ever like scratch yourself joel and say i i can't believe i'm actually playing with all these people like you know you you're a guy that's gone from where you were to where you are now you're incredibly busy doing multiple projects you know you've been in white snake you played with Cher. you're doing you know you're going from rockfall to acoustic shows and all that is that something that you, you know you have to scratch yourself and say wow I, I can't believe that or is that something that you networked to, to, for it to happen and it's actually happening do you know what I mean like is is a lot of it luck or is a lot of it just perseverance do you think well I mean I would say it, it's definitely both there was a, there was a lot in that question I mean I, I would yeah. say it's it's definitely um yeah, I'm I a big I, believer so in I the think, perseverance I, I think and I working asked hard. Fifteen questions there. <laughs> so I, I, I say, you know, I'm a big believer in perseverance and hard work, yeah. and um, and that, like I said, breaks down to a daily process. And then um, the the to answer the other side of that is that um, I mean, I am always grateful for like all of the the cool things that I've been able to do with guitar to date um, because I come from, you know, just like a not so well to do family in the, you know, suburban Chicago where this kind of stuff is like, if I said to anybody that I was going to do this when I was young, they would have laughed their heads off, you know? So I definitely appreciate it the whole way. And I think it took a long time for things to open up for me as well. So um, that also makes me appreciate it. But like the, the, the focus has always been trying to be a musician first and foremost and be able to make a living doing it. And um, that's really what I love to do. And now the success is like, that's great, you know, but also it, it shouldn't necessarily be what people hang their hats on or, or as the only reason to play music. You know, you should play music because you love it. And uh, the success thing is that it's great if it happens. But also, I you know, I know a lot of people who are amazing musicians who didn't um necessarily achieve great career success or haven't to date and and that doesn't define them to me you know i I, to me they're great musicians and that's how i i think of them Mm. joel did you see the hired gun movie i did yes Um, i busted jason hook's balls a bit because i i I said how come you'd ask me to do that that my my final question was going to be when you were watching that did you think that's me (laughs) 
Uh, I, I definitely busted Jason Oaks balls a little bit about it. And, uh, and then he, he came to, uh, see me with Cher and we, we, we got to like have a laugh about it. You know, um, he's a great cat and he's an amazing guitar player. Really, really amazing. Um, so anyway, we, we, uh, we shared a laugh about that. Uh, cause I, th- I said, Hey man, you know, I'm playing with white snake, Cher and trans Siberian orchestra all at the same time. And I didn't get asked to do this. Come on. What more do I have to do? <laughs> so, um, Anyway, uh, um, uh, he's a great cat. Uh, yeah, I definitely you know saw a lot of my friends in that movie, and it made me wonder how come I didn't get the call. So there okay. you go. I'm sure you looked at the band that played in the studio and thought to yourself, "Wow, I wish I was in the studio with them playing together." Yeah, I mean, I yeah, obviously that was cool, and um, it was just great to see so many of my friends. And obviously Gillis, you know, Brad's such a, a good friend of mine, and, and uh, you know my buddy Justin Derrico. Um, who's a ridiculous guitar player. A guy's so talented, it's insane. You know, yeah, it was just great to see them all doing their thing. And, uh, you know, but of course, like somewhere in my mind, I'm like, hey, how come I didn't get a call? <laughs> uh, <laughs> how come my phone didn't ring? So, Joel, uh, give out the website where people can get in touch with you and uh, pick up tickets for the Brandon Gibbs shows that you're doing starting, I believe, uh, 22nd of September. Yeah, exactly. I could scroll through all that for everybody. We're we're um, twenty September twenty second at Ramshead on stage in Annapolis, Maryland. Twenty uh, third, we're at the Landis Theater in Vineland, New Jersey. Twenty fourth, we're at Daryl's House in Pauling, New York. Um, September twenty five, we're at New Hope Winery in New Hope, Pennsylvania. September twenty seven, we're at eighty nine North, um, Patchogue, New York, Long Island. Um, uh, September 28th, Broadbrook Opera House in Broadbrook, Broadbrook, Connecticut. My goodness, tongue twister. Uh, September 29th, we're at Tupelo Music Hall um, uh, in Derry, New Hampshire. So that's our seven-show run for everybody. So hopefully people can come on out and um, they can link over to anything about me or any of my social media stuff from joelhoekstra.com, which is J-O-E-L. H-O-E-K-S-T-R-A dot com joelhoekstra.com Perfect Well Joel I'll see you on the, the is it the 29th of the Tupelo? I'm going to go to that show Yeah I, now I've walked away from the dates as soon as, <laughs> as, soon as you asked me it's of the course very la- the very last one I'm going to go Yes alright so I should look really tired there should be some good bags yeah, under I'll, my I'll, eyes I'll, that... shout, I'll shout out lots of requests for you Awesome right <laughs> on brother we'll be good to see you man Yeah alright so I'll, I'll take care and I'll, I'll see you in a couple of weeks always a pleasure Alright Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate Good it. Joel. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. And there you have it. Another chat with uh, Joel Holkstra. You don't even remember how many times we've had him on the show, but he definitely qualifies as one of our returning guests. So what I will try to do when I do the show notes for this up at focusonmetalpod.com, I will try to also list out those show dates again. But of course, you know, hey, this is technology. You can just rewind and listen again and see all those dates for yourselves. And speaking of that, as I was editing up this interview, I did take the opportunity to, to, hey, Tupelo, just up the road, pretty good venue. So uh, yeah, middle of mixing, I stopped everything, went and bought a couple of tickets to the show. So if you go to the uh, September 29th show up at the Tupelo, then yeah, you might just uh, run into Richie and I. We're uh, we're planning on going. And I think this is actually the... uh, we haven't been to a concert together in, it might, it might have been like two years now, because the last one was before all the COVID crap hit at the Tupelo again. We went up and saw uh, Jeff Tate. So yeah, it's been a long time since uh, 
I've been out to a concert with Richie, but yes, we will be uh, up at Table 7 on the 29th up at the Tupelo. And speaking of live dates, yeah, I've got to kind of get this thing all mixed, all published, ready to go for the holiday weekend because I have got to get out of here early on uh, on Friday to uh, make the extreme show out in Webster. Uh, I don't know, I think second row or something like that. I don't remember what it is. Should be a really cool show. You know, just saw Gary a few weeks back with the Joe Perry Project. Seeing him and Extreme again should be great, great night. And and probably the most cool thing, and I know Richie loved this too, you know, when he brought his son out to see his uh, first shows. But this will actually be the uh, first time that my girlfriend's daughter is going to a uh, genuine live high volume gig. So definitely looking forward to seeing how that whole experience plays out. So hope you guys enjoyed this one. I know that Richie and I, we've been slammed pretty busy with all kinds of other shit going on because you do have to pay the bills, but uh, we are keeping the shows coming as much as possible. And like this one, hey, this was kind of a, hey, can you get this thing out as fast as possible? Of course we can, Joel, on it. But uh, more great stuff on the way. I do have some audio from Richie in the can that I was working on as well. So uh, we appreciate you listening. Keep coming back here every time a new show comes up. And if you want to check out any of the past shows, like I always say, you can uh, either go to uh, Apple Music, you can go up to uh, Amazon Music, or you can go to our main site, focusonmetalpod.com. And uh, that's searchable, and you can get all kinds of episodes up there. But anyways, for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again, as always, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.